And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Welcome to Social Media White Noise. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, Ted, but we've had complaints that the intro's too long. Bugger. When you pressing the button. Should we start? Go on, then we'll start now. Should we start now? We will. Should we start now? This is unfunny to people listening right now, you know that. <clears throat> Welcome to Social Media White Noise, this is episode 81. I'm Andy White, aka Dr. Bod, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D. And I am Nick Butler, aka Loudmouth Man, sitting shocked and stunned at the incredibly professional way with which Andy White, aka Dr. Pod, spelt out fully, has said that. In yes. today's show, a series of interesting topics. <laughs> of which I shall <laughs> save the draft that we should go to. <laughs> <laughs> Including, is Telco dead? And he gets an iPad. Uh, what does he make of it? Reddit users write a law to and free the internet. And rip off a repo man, says the director. Yeah, that's right. And there are, there are links. As I'm desperately saving where you see that, we managed to slam headfirst into the wall of opportunity. We did. Never mind. So, oh dear. It's, I'm, I tell you what, I really should feel a lot more perkier. Because um, you've run half marathon. Yeah. I've uh-huh. been doing push-ups till, you know ridiculous numbers he has uh, and yet we're both sat here a bit like yeah just stretch out relax yeah. just chill well, well being fit I, makes I, it chilled I, I think what it is it's definitely the cafe that we're in because we're talk in about the, cafe? the loop let's talk about the cafe we are space. in the loop the loop people on the seafront right opposite the big wheel in, uh, in Brighton and what makes the loop a bit special is it's Brazilian cuisine Tell you what makes it special is this rather luxurious sofa that you just have yeah. feel the need to sort of lean back and chill out in. These sofas are amazing. Uh, they do look like which, big leather lady parts. Which which does um, just totally ignoring that image. Thank you very much. They, they do though, and, anatomically. And, and just just leaning back in the luxurious sense of I could just chill out about now, which isn't helpful because we've got some important things to talk about. We have not the least of which is telecoms dying. Telcos are dying, or are they just losing out to messaging apps? I find this whole thing fascinating, and I think we're living in very interesting times. This was this was alerted to me because I was on a an app called Flipboard, which I got at the same time as my iPad, which I'll talk about later. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, okay. And it was an article about um, where telcos are going, where the big main telephone companies are going. And it's this whole thing about, um, we'll link obviously in the show notes, but it's this whole thing about paying for voice data per time versus packet movement of data, which includes voice data. Okay, I know Nick's got an opinion. This is very topical. I have an opinion. How strange. How strange. Nick has an opinion. I mean, could we ever possibly conceive of a podcast where the presenters don't have an opinion? I didn't for several months, Nick, but carry on. It would be a sceptical podcast at best. Now, um, I've got a couple of new clients who are actually moving offices, and as a result of moving offices, they're leaving telephone systems behind. Now, traditionally, I would handle the move of an office with a section that describes installing a telephone system. Yeah. So you select telephone system, select the handsets, get the lines ordered up and so forth. Both these, cl- these clients actually use voice over IP providers. They have virtually hosted telephone exchanges, which they have voice over IP telephones to connect to. So they have virtual phones on their, on their Macs and their yep. iPads and so forth, but also on their desktops. So they've got a physical phone on the desktop. They've got a physical phone, yeah. but it connects yeah. to a service over the internet yes. via an ADSL line. Yeah. Now, I mean, it's nothing new. I mean, I've been, I've been doing the same sort of thing through a service called SIPgate yeah. for many years. Um, and the, the trouble that we have is that there's the voice over IP facilities and services that people are familiar with. And then there's the sort of de facto voice over IP that everybody likes using, which is Skype. 
Mm. And Skype's protocols are not... They're not open, uh, are they? They're not open. They're not voice mm. over IP. They're not mm. SIP. So they're not standardised in that way. So you've got these two sort of competing standards. And against which you have telecoms companies whose traditional expertise is bring in some telephone lines, put in an exchange, programme mm. exchange to work for the receptionist, then hand that out to everybody else who works in the office. Mm. Um, and that, that's, sort of, that's how it's always worked. And how voice over IP has changed up businesses is they've suddenly understood that in the same way they can connect a laptop to the internet and it can handle emails and so forth, you can just have a telephone anywhere on the internet and it's yeah. the same extension and same telephone number. Yeah. You could have a geophysically located telephone number in London, but your offices could be in Munich. It doesn't yeah. matter. In fact, you can then have local numbers for people to call on, which are then going over IP and are arriving via the internet. So, yeah, you have this problem of, are we now billing on per minute or billing on per packet? And you have the flip side of this, where the mobile phone companies, and there's another link to this one, have lost well over $13 billion in revenue because people aren't sending text messages via multimedia messaging systems or um, you know, simple messaging Is that services. because they're doing more tweets and because they're doing they're more Facebook? and their Facebook apps yeah. and their messaging apps. And because they're all using all of these messaging apps... They don't have the need to use an SMS messaging app. And iPhone has it built in. If I send you a message, it comes to me via iMessage. Yes. And therefore, it's not going over the, the amount of text messages that I have as part of my package. Mm. So we, I, I know we have talked about this before. We've said there comes to a point where the telecoms company needs to stop handing me minutes of voice mm. and thousands of texts per packet per month and should just be handing me a package that says... You can have a 256K stream yes. or a half meg stream. They shouldn't be capping it because that's ridiculous. Mm. They should just be saying to you, how, how much stream do you want? And the amount of stream you want will define how much bandwidth you can expect your voice call to have. So basically, it's how many lanes in your personal highway do you want? We don't care how much traffic you put over it. Yeah. We don't care if you put a juggernaut end to end. It's a ridiculous thing when people go, oh, this traffic moves over the network. It doesn't. No thing actually happens... The signal being sent is not actually a thing. Um, in other words, it, it's, it, there is this sort of like fake sort of idea that we've got carriages and lanes and so forth, but it, these other things aren't real. There's no, there's no mm. scarcity economics to them. No. We can keep recreating them from one side and send them to the other well, side as many times as we like. It's a voltage blip over a very short period of time, isn't it? It's lots of voltage blips and that, that we're is talking a, about. And that, so it's a time-based thing. that's a time-based thing. thing. Yeah. There's a certain amount of time. Yeah. But, you but we translate that to, to cars and lorries on a, on a, a hypothetical highway. That's how I'd like to see it. And so we've moved all the way from the times when you had a simple telephone line was installed into an office which was attached to a telephone. And that telephone could ring and you would answer it and that's fine. You have some control over mm. whether or not you choose to answer it to um, sophisticated voice over IP systems that are integrated straight into mobile phones. So you can have a mobile phone app that connects to voice over IP. Mm. And same way that Skype does. And then you can take your call that way. Mm. So you're not, you're not using any of your minutes allocation. Everything's going through voice over IP. Um, I, I genuinely think that, that this is one of the reasons why the telecoms providers like to sort of turn this around and say, well, hang on a second. Um, we want to tax everybody. It's like when canals were built and mm. you know, what then the lock keepers and people who organised the canals did was start putting a tax and a levy on people putting things through the canal. Yeah. So if you were transporting an awful lot of goods, there'd be this, oh, oh well, you've got, to, you've got to pay more because you're putting more through it. Mm. And, and this is being paid for. You know, you're getting the benefit of well, using our It's exactly canal. the same as road tax and tolls, isn't it? 
There's no such thing as road tax. It's a vehicle levy. Okay, vehicle levy. Okay, <laughs> the thing we that round thing we stick on our windscreen. The thing we put in our windscreen isn't actually a road tax with permission to use the road. It's yeah, a complete right. separate thing. And in fact, a lot of the money that goes from that doesn't necessarily go into the infrastructure for roads. Mm. But that's a whole other conversation with government that I think we should have. Yeah. I think people liked that local government podcast we did in the last episode. Yes, um, because we'll, talk, that, we'll talk about that in a minute, that actually, because I was wondering if there's so much feedback. But there's back to the feedback. telecom thing. But I genuinely think that <clears throat> this is the initial sort of death rattle for telecos companies. Mm. Because after they've installed wires and fibre and lines, they have got no access to the amount of money that's generated over those lines anymore. Mm. They've got no way of working out how to do it. Quite rightly, they shouldn't. They should just be saying, you know, this is a fixed cost to put this line in, mm. and we'll charge you a fixed. Plus maintaining rate. it, of course. That's, that's, a, that's well, a legitimate plus cost. Plus maintaining it, but yeah. these are things are all fixed because we have yeah. a fixed physical world mm. for which we have a number of things that we can expect to happen and plan mm. for. Mm. So there is a fixed cost to putting it, and it's the, the labour cost to putting in an optic cable is no different to the labour cost of putting in a fibre cable. Mm. The hardware cost of a fibre cable and a copper cable are different. The maintenance costs for those two things are different. However, the fibre cable can carry more information and is less likely to be stolen by mm. people seeking metal on a metal market at mm. the moment that, you know, where copper is at a good price. Yeah. So there is a, there's a corporate social responsibility position here that says that telcos should be replacing all of this metal with the fibre and glass and putting that in instead. I wonder what our listeners think. It'd be good to get some feedback. It'd be nice to get some feedback. Yeah, we should, some feedback. Yes, do, just a, as a side thing, we do get um, some feedback. We get some great comments, don't we? I think we should read some of them out, Nick, actually. We do, but we they're do. mostly all spams. Uh, no, but I think we should read them out because they're really good, especially the one from sexdolls.com. Yes. Anyway, well. um, <laughs> but yeah, if, uh, d- what, what do you think? Comment back. Either tweet us or just... Leave us a voicemail message on. Yeah. Oh, actually, we don't have a voicemail service because telcos are no point to a podcast. Oh, that's right, yeah. Or just, yes, just, just leave us a. Send us an MP3. Send us an MP3. Yes, and we'll incorporate yes. it in because Andy likes to wear it. I do, I do love He'll to. He'll do it on his d- new iPad. Yeah, I've got an iPad. You bought an iPad. I've got an iPad. Why did you buy an iPad? Okay, good question. Why did I buy an iPad? Two reasons. Uh, first one uh, is research because I want to do uh, experience what it's like to consume podcasts on an iPad. And I want to see if, if it give me any other ideas of sort of various services I could offer, because lots of people have iPads now. But the, the main thing was just because uh, it was an unknown quantity. I just want to see what doors it opens up, what's it like to use one. And the biggest thing for me is, is I'm interested in where it fits in. I'm still trying to work out where it fits in. I mean, the, the first day I had it, it was actually quite nice to just sit in the kitchen without a laptop and go through my mail. I, for some bizarre reason, I felt more efficient. But on the laptop, I didn't have to put a laptop down, open it, and start looking at emails that, and get distracted by the myriad of other things. Experience. It's the kind of sit-back thing, and it's just being able to do stuff. It's also got some really nice apps. My favourite is Flipbook. Flipbook. Yeah, yeah Flipbook. Flippad. Flippad. Yeah. And what that does, it's a bit like, um, it basically, you tune it into your Twitter. That's an interesting concept, tuning in. Tuning it into your Twitter, to your Facebook. I don't think it can do RSS feeds, but it would be good if it could. So basically, it's the usual thing. It looks at uh, who you're following, and any one of those people who are linking to things, those articles will show up in a really nice kind of formatted magazine-type style. You know when you were a kid... Did you ever have those books that where the pages are made of cardboard, really stiff? Yep. So when you turned a page, it just went in a big stiff. Yep. It's like that. And it's you like just that. slide your finger and it just slides. It's beautiful. 
there. No export to Pinterest then. No, sorry, we're not mentioning we're Pinterest. Not, we can't mention that. Can't the P word. Yeah, no. for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but you, Nick, 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 said, Nick said to me uh, before the thing that we weren't Pinterest. allowed to mention this P word. I just, Pinterest. Uh, it's not that good. Flippad's more interesting than Pinterest. Evernote's Flippad's more interesting. Flippad's really cool. Yeah. If you get an iPad, get Flippad. It does. I mean, I have a... Flipboard. Sorry, it's Flipboard. So I have a... Um, I do, I do apologise. Flipboard. I have... Well, we have the original iPad that came out, because Sharon, Sharon sort of said, I think I should have an iPad. And she labelled them for all the reasons. But at the end of the day, she said, I just think I want one. Yeah. And she got one now. She, she has one. And, now, what does and she use it for? What does she like so it she's for? using it for emails. And actually, predominantly, she plays solitaire on it an awful lot. Okay. So most expensive so kind of cards homing in on one of the apps, mainly, and, when she picks and, it up. Uh, but... She's made use of it for emails and made yeah. use of it for research, made use of it for looking things up. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't hold the same position in our house because we have two small children. Yes. It can't hold the same position in our house as it might have done if we didn't have kids, where it might be central to the table. But that's the, point. That's, that's the problem. It can't be central because it's tied to one iTunes account. Because so, so, me and Sarah discussed this, because Sarah's got one as well. We've got yeah. his and hers. Yeah. And I'll tell you, actually, I'll tell you how she's using hers in a minute, because that's quite interesting. But anyway, I, I said to Sarah... What I did love here, listeners, is he's using a lot of hand gestures. Yeah, I'm using hand gestures, I'm pointing at things. It works so well on a podcast. It does work, especially on an audio podcast. So anyway, because I said to Sarah, you know, if we just get one, A, it's going to be attached to one iTunes account, and invariably, because Sarah's the boss, it's going to be attached to her iTunes account. So it's going to be Sarah's iPad, which means when anyone... if you know, Because I imagined it on the coffee table, whole family uses it. No. Yeah. Because when someone wants to download an app, like my son Bailey, he loves all these various apps and things. He, he's been on Sarah's a lot. Yeah. He's already, he has actually downloaded stuff, but he's put them in a separate folder to keep them separate. Yeah. But they will now sync with Sarah's iTunes, so Sarah yes. will have those apps. Yeah. So we, we end up getting his and hers. Now Sarah, Sarah's using it for an interesting thing. You know, um, when the iPad first came out, they I don't know who they are were saying, "Oh, it's a consumption-only device." Yeah. Nah, she's editing video on it. Yeah. Yeah, she's creating stuff on, stuff on it. Yeah, she's writing a book on it. Scrivener, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, let's, let's get back to talking about Scrivener and their sponsorship. We'll, we'll invite them again. Um, I, I actually, when, when Sharon got hers, we, and, uh, the iTunes thing is an interesting thing anyway because we've, we've talked about the copyright issues. We've talked about his and her music. Yeah. You know, when we're buying CDs as a couple, buying CDs as a family, everyone can listen to it. But when you buy music on iTunes, not everybody can listen to it unless they have access to that account. Yeah. So Sharon had her iPad, and it was always like, well, if you're not going to use it, then I'll inherit it, and I'll mm. probably make use of it. Mm. But after a few months of watching her use it, I realised that the Mac Air mm. was closer to what I wanted. It was the eight hours of battery life for the day. Yeah. Uh, it was the ultra lightweight. It was a full screen, but it had the keyboard, and it had the additional functions of being a a general computational device mm. as opposed to a specific computational device. So I could do more things that were generic and that were on the basis of system administration. And it had a file system. So it had a file system <laughs> that I could yes, get into. Yes, which of course the iPad um, doesn't. Which, well, the iPad has a file system. But you can't see it. And you can't it, well, get to it. Not there, and that's kind of a good thing. Fact, well, I think it is a good for, thing. For, for every user out there, for the generic user out there, not having a file system is exactly what they want. Yes, I agree. They, yeah. they actually didn't want to have multi-user. They didn't mm. want to have multi-interface and the rest of it. And we're seeing now with the launch of Windows 8 and the Metro interface that we are moving back to a single application interface 
feel. Now that's interesting. You mentioned Windows 8. Have you seen it? Yes. Is it is it file systemless or it's is it not going that way? It's file systemless, but it's it's removing people from the thought of using a file system. Okay. And in fact, um, the latest iPhone and Mac app development requirement for the Mac app market for the app marketplace yeah. is that you must sandbox your application. It must not necessarily share information outside of its own sandbox. I thought that was how they did it from the start. So there is, but there's always been a sort of slack appreciation of utilising it. Okay. There's the, I, I, I can sincerely believe that because people haven't been sharing applications in the way that they thought they were, that we're going to head back towards specific function, specific apps, and specific utilisation. Mm. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing for users because they haven't grasped computational opportunities. Well, I think it machine. simplifies things. This, this simplifies idea of the things. silo, that the app is the silo. I think um, it's really simplified it, things. It, it will make things harder for system admin, as, system administrators at the tech level in a business. Because your user who works with a general computational environment, mm. you will have more control over that environment. But the user who works in a specific computational environment with a siloed application, a sandbox application, yeah. is likely to lose data that you will never have had access to. Yeah, yeah. So there's always that opportunity. Unless we're just backing up the whole device, which of course it, you can to, to iCloud. Which you, do. you can then export everything to the iCloud. But yeah. there's, there's, from my point of view, I'm not going to see myself buying an iPad ever. Right. I bought a cheap um, tablet, uh, an Android tablet, because mm. you know, what I wanted for an iPad was basically something to watch videos on yeah. at the end of the day. And I do that with my tablet. And I watch all the videos and I stream all my video content through my tablet when I'm sort of wherever I am. Sure. And that's just that. But it doesn't do more than that, and I don't need it to do more than that. No. I, didn't actually want to, you know, I don't actually want to watch video on my Mac Air, and I don't want to watch video on my laptop, but I want mm. to set a tablet up like a little television screen yep. and just watch it that way. Well, that's the other reason I wanted to, to, to have an iPad, because it's good for showing potential clients how podcasts work and videos that we've done and stuff like that, and it's, it's a bit easier than just getting a laptop there's, out. There's PowerPoint presentation. I mean, the, one of the things that bugs me in selling is how PowerPoint presentation will get in the way mm. of what you're promoting and presenting. And it is interesting how uh, I've seen people use a tablet and use a sort of photo book effect on a tablet and use a presentation tool on a tablet, and it has stopped from it stopped getting in the way and I guess it's because there might be just less, less bullet points mm. um, on the whole but other than that um, yeah so slick transition by the way into our new microphone yeah sorry the battery went on, on the um, Lavalier mic but never mind and there we go so the lesson the lesson from this podcast our rate one episodes is more batteries. 9 volt batteries yeah and checking there we batteries go. hey whilst we're talking about lessons and checking batteries uh, let's uh, thank our sponsor which is King of Shaves King of Shaves, we salute you. Who have uh, very kindly decided to sponsor this show uh, ongoing for quite a few more shows to come. Uh, I had my King of Shaves shave this morning with the King of Shaves gel, the King of Shaves Azure razor. Um, and, um, How many blades does that thing have? The only is actually, that blade on that razor had four blades. Ooh. And um, I have to say that my experience of being a King of Shaves client, a King of Shaves user... Um, is one where you know the morning drag is not the razor itself in fact the morning drag isn't the shave anymore and um, I, I have to say that it's, it's one of these things men don't, men don't talk about we don't, we don't talk about shaving as a product as an idea um, and you'll, you'll generally get the adverts coming out and they're pretty bog standard and you, know, you expect to use a foam and you expect to use this and, and you, you expect what? an attractive woman to walk up at the end and stroke uh, your face uh, don't even get me started on the effect but 
I know that since I switched to using King of Shaves product, uh, not only have I um, had a better shave in the morning, um, but I felt I'm supporting a British industry and a British product, mm. um, as well as a, frankly, uh, a, a smarter businessman. So, uh, King of Shaves, thank you for sponsoring the show. And if you do get a chance, you'll find King of Shaves in most chemists and supermarkets out there. Uh, I know I can spot it on the shelves in Boots and Superdrugs and in Tesco. So, get out there and um, try some King of Shaves and leave us some feedback on that one. We salute you, King of Shaves. Thank you very much for the coffee. If you want a smooth, a smooth shave and not a drag... King of Shaves. Indeed. Now, hey, look, I've actually gone gone straight off the line, so I've forgotten what the next topic is. Hey, cool. Are. This new microphone picks up the taps of the keyboard. That sounds like a terrible thing. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's go into post number 81. Reddit users are creating their own law. The Free Internet Act. This really um, I didn't know it was got me interested when I, when I first saw this, but this is a, it's a power of the people thing, isn't it, rather than a sort of legal thing. Is that right? Uh, well, it is, and the one part of me in my 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 Google Plus post points out that um, this is a bit like your kids drawing a pretty picture and you shove it on the fridge. Yeah. You know, you you have a lot of sentiment for it, and you have a lot of feelings that there's some genuine effort there. But at the end of the day, it's not really going to make a big difference or a big change in the mind swell because we've been to, there's there is a feeling that there's been a success in campaigning against actor and against soper uh, despite the fact that we failed to campaign successfully in stopping the digital economy act mm. so we're looking at the internet freedom act which has been drafted by the users of reddit um, who've put together the first draft of the Internet Freedom Act, of which there is a, a Google Doc available for this. This is, like, this is like the American Constitution when those dudes got together in America. Yeah, but that's the point. There was a group of people get together, got yeah. together, and this was quite a while after um, America's sort of civil wars and America's history, and this is a very short history, that this is a very... This is a specific point where this wasn't put together by the whole of the American society. Mm. It was a very small number of people who were very clever and sat down and thought about some key issues. Thought leaders. And, you know, this is, this is a version one, um, and there are a number of contents in here. What we're looking at is Article 1, Censorship, and this is available in the link. It's a Google Doc. Um, please don't go in and edit it, although you can go in and edit it, but, um, you know, there's the federal or state governments will not pass any law nor ratify any treaty which imposes or administers any kind of censorship on the internet except in situations detailed in Article 1. So what we're seeing here is that there's an attempt to um, formalise mm. some of how we've been speaking, some of, some of the mechanisms by which we've been trying to speak to legislators and lawmakers. And there's been a lot of experience on behalf of the lobbyists as to how to lobby governments and how to lobby legislators to get laws passed that they want. Mm. And that's generally done by lawyers and people who've studied law and whose topic is they've studied law. This is an article that's been put together by people who've studied the effects of people passing stupid laws. Uh, it's a better thing? Well, it's a good stab. It's a good document. It's worth getting into. Um, but if we handed this off to some, some legislators today, the first thing you would hit is that you need to address this in terms of laws that have previously been passed. Okay. For every country, that would be a problem because they've got different levels of of laws that they've passed. But this is an interesting point, because remember, you raised this, I think, in the last episode, of the one previous to last, 
that the internet is almost like its own country that spans all other countries. It spans all other countries and it creates this problem where people think, well, maybe there needs to be border controls and maybe there needs to be passports. There is, a, there is the problem in that which, which leads people to think, well, if it's its own country, it needs its government, it needs its embassy. And does it? Does it? Should we have internet embassies? Well, does it? Point. Does mankind, because this is the internet. Do we need countries? The internet is not a country. It is the expression of man's thoughts. It's a, it's a domain. It's the, it is the domain of man's ideas. Mm. And does, as, as such, in being the domain of man's ideas, is it... Is it defined by any one culture and is it appropriate or right that any individual culture should set the precepts by which those ideas might be expressed? It's almost like space. Who owns it? So Reddit users are one culture of the internet who have built the free internet out. They are expressing one view as to how you might perceive the domain of the freedom of man's thoughts for the whole of the world. Is there actually the right to do that? That's the that's, that's the question. Can we do Who's that? Who's backing this? Because it sounds. Well, this is this is. I've only heard the first bit of it, and it sounds very good, although it's a bit vague. If it was, a, you know. Well, that's that is exactly the point. Very good, but a bit vague. I think yeah. that, that sums it up. Yeah, yeah. Because you need to get this to. You need to get the elected members and the legislators on board. You need to get the officers of the governments. And the, you need to get the people who are responsible for managing the law, who integrate with the elected officials of your government, to sit between those two points. We, we already have. Is it WW3 or whatever it's called? They, there's a consortium, isn't no, there? That's a consortium that's, that's dealing with the technical standards. So we need something similar for the sociological. This is the society side. standards, and yeah. that's the good question. So they've written it. There are views in it. My view is. It's a bit like kids deciding they want to buy it, build an airplane, and let's you know, let's go and put it on a stage play, guys. It's the right attempt, yeah, but it's still the wrong implementation. It's like I get frustrated with the pirate party. It's the right attempt, but it's a terrible name. Is anyone trying to address the implementation? Uh, well, there's people like me who actually get involved in putting my name on a ballot paper and actually taking part in democracy in yeah. terms of actually getting involved mm. and getting to know people that way because that's that's the first step. I honestly think that think people who are doing this should also start putting their names down on ballot papers, getting their names on on documents that will get them elected so they can take part in the meetings. So do you think that the internet should have its own sort of international government with elected officials? Yes. Because that's a level of regulation that that people are looking for. Yeah. For which, if we do have it, and, and you could have it, then it should, its its primary constitution shall be that it shall not be lobbied to um, by big corporate or big governments, but can only be ratified by the people who are using it. So it's a kind of we the people, international or global internet moral no. consortium we don't, a good need, name a, out there, we don't need a centralisation of power to start with no. because the value of the internet is its individuals getting together yeah. but there does need to be there needs to be a, a embassy um, of man's thoughts to man's society there needs to be the embassy of the mind in place for all these countries because all these countries are effectively entities in their own cultural identity and they gather together in that particular mindset 
and they they are working like ideas that will react negatively to things that contradict or contravene their social structure. So you do need a mechanism to smooth that over, and that does need a traditional mechanism that they're used to. But the the agency of the internet is is the expression of man's ideas, mm. and that that's not a mechanism that we have in place yet we, we don't understand what it is so we look to some models that we can use and that's, that's sort of where it comes to have you got a lemon drizzle cake uh, I, no actually I was going to order it but we'll, okay. we'll, we'll do that at the end of the show sorry, sorry you know. listeners that's just a slight side issue there he's seeing food turning up no hey speaking of food turning up yes it's not a segue at all but we've talked about copyright and we've yeah. talked about the agenda of copyright uh, there's a gentleman, uh, a director of a cult film called Repo Man. Repro Man. Repo Man. Repo. A uh, repo. I can see it here on the notes. Yeah. Um, and it's this director, Alex Cock, reflects on the 1984 cult classic, uh, and his battles with subsequent battles with Hollywood and Hunter S. Thompson, and why it's fine to pirate his work. He's he's in this place where. Um, He's seeing that the ownership of his work is being continually uh, managed by these big media and big corporates who get artists to sign up rights that they say, oh, we, we, you know, if you sign away your rights to this product because we'll protect it for you, then what actually happens is they don't protect it, they monopolise it. And they take some cultural input or cultural output, creative work from an artist, and sit on it and control it. And they control it both in a regional sense and in an economic sense. Uh, and as I was being quite sarcastic with you today, you know, far be it from a from a commercial entity to expect to have some economic yes. value. When we're talking about the peer, yes. But, um, what was it you called it? A money sucking. A, a money suck. Uh, a money sucking. Money, or, no, a money suck. A money suck. Just a yes. money suck. Yeah. Yes, because far be it from, from somebody to not make any money at all. So, uh, Alex Coxon raises the issue here that says. Um, he wants this to be seen by people and it can't be because it's being controlled and managed it was made in 1984 it will soon be the best part of 20 years ago it was made this is the film hang on let me get this right it's a the cult film, film called, called Repo Man Repo Man was made in 1984 1984 it's okay. not to be confused with the film Repo Men yes that came out a few years ago it's okay. nothing to do with it's this Repo movie. Man singular okay um, and I, I, I mean I remember I, I remember being a video store clerk and selling this film on v, you know renting this film out on VHS and talking to clients about why it was really great yeah um, so we've come a long way since then and he's now looking at you know, he wants to be able to get his art out there and expressed and people to see it mm. and he knows that he can't he knows that it's actually not easy for people to gain access to that so we go back to things like the first internet freedom act and it's going to hit against the corporations who absolutely scream out for the right to maintain and control access to cultural artistic works and we've got people like Disney who've taken products that are in the public domain like Cinderella Snow White Beauty and the Beast packaged them as commercial entities and, and sort of opportunistically then start saying well maybe that's our product not your product maybe we own Sleeping so if I wrote, a, if I wrote a, um, a story and Cinderella was in it could I be sued by Disney because do they own uh, Cinderella you know what I am not a lawyer right and I don't believe you can but I believe if you utilised uh, the image of Cinderella that mm. was from Disney oh okay then you'd be in trouble so they kind of owned their version of Cinderella but they um, don't own but Cinderella they, there's a certain there's a certain um, there's a flip side to this. America wanted to do a version of Sherlock Holmes. 
Okay. They were going to do their own version of Sherlock. And the BBC have said, actually, we do Sherlock, not you. And that created a bit of an upset in terms of what was happening in terms of filming for Sherlock. Yeah. But Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain. It's, mm. it's freely available. Copyright's out there for anybody to use. So there'd be nothing to stop doing it. So why are we now seeing these these media companies suddenly trying to lock in and, and sort of lock off access to copyright material and say this is now ours sorry I'm nodding I'm nodding Andy is nodding on an audio podcast so these are the things that things like the Free Internet Act would have to address but in attempting to address them they're not just going up against the government and legislation they also need to go up against a commercial interest Mm. and a capital interest and a shareholder's interest and and individual interest and there's this there's this call for which there's never been any proof that artists are are, are losing money hand over fist because of because things are being uh, pirated meanwhile the reality is that the the loss of income is actually affecting the bigger businesses not the smaller businesses I mean we're we're at the moment creating podcasts that lets us broadcast out to as many people as we want. Mm. That is a mechanism that traditional media would not like us to have because it means that we can do something that they can also do, and we can create something that they can also create, but our operational costs are far, far less. Mm. So when we get sponsored, it actually it does things like pays for the coffee and the cakes and the drizzle cakes and so like forth. The if you, as a listener, wanted to sponsor the show, you could visit socialmediawhitenoise.com slash donate... You could donate, uh, you know, £10 or so to help pay for this podcast. For example. For example. Um, and, you know, as we say, we want to thank our sponsors, King of Shaves. We do. And, um, you know, well done, Andy, for swapping over us onto the hairy mic. It's been interesting <laughs> speaking, mic boom. speaking into the head of Beaker. <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm talking to a Muppet. Um, we better call it a day, I We're going to call it a day and grab some more coffee and cake and, and sort out how we're putting this show together. So I've been Andy White, Acker Doctor Pod, Doctor spelled out fully, D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D. And I'm still being Nick Butler, a.k.a. Loudmouth Man of loudmouthman.com. Please leave a comment at socialmediawhitenoise.com. Uh, do, go to the donate button, drop in a donation. And as my nose slowly bugs up, I'm going to say bye-bye. And we apologise for Nick sniffing earlier. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Social Media White Noise, brought to you by Andy White, Acker Doctor Pod, and Nick Butler, Acker Loudmouth Man. Please visit www.socialmediawhitenoise.com where you can leave comments, listen to the show straight from the webpage, and subscribe for free. Email us at ulot at socialmediawhitenoise.com. Follow us on Twitter, Dr. Pod and Loudmouthman. We'd like to thank the coffee shops of Sussex, social media and technology, without whom this show would not be possible. See you soon. Peace.